Growing up, I remember seeing TV commercials for Old Milwaukee beer. They showed these rough guys in the woods, fishing along a mountain stream, and they seemed to be just having a great time. I mean, there was more camouflage and flannel and, and facial hair than I'd ever seen growing up in the big city, right? And, and they'd, they'd catch their fish and they'd fry it up in a pan and they'd crack open a cold one. And, and then as they gathered around the campfire that evening, one of the guys would say, and they'd zoom on in, and he'd say, fellas, maybe you remember this, just didn't get any better than this. Now, I don't drink and I'm not much of a fisherman. But really? I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. I, I mean, life doesn't get any better than sitting in my soggy boots with day-old sweat with a couple smelly guys in flannel out in the middle of mosquito-infested country far from my wife and kids in a shower drinking a warm beer. Doesn't get any better than that? Not even a little bit. I, I, hope, it, I hope it gets better. Maybe it's a stretch, I don't know, stick with me here for a minute, but I think that there are people, good, good people who believe in God and they go to church, but they only have a limited view of how this whole spiritual life with God thing works. They believe in Jesus for salvation. Uh, he forgives their sins. But then they just think, well, I'm just gotta, gonna keep on sinning and then God will keep on forgiving and it's just kind of no other way around it, and it just doesn't get any better than that. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans says that, that it does get better than that, that, that we don't have to just keep on that, that, uh, that process of sinning and forgiveness, but, and actually we shouldn't keep on doing that, that there's something better. So today we're, we're moving into Romans chapter 6 where Paul shifts gears yet again. You remember last week it was all about grace, right? And we talked about grace and, and Romans 5, at the end of Romans 5, uh, uh, grace goes, uh, goes deeper and wider and stronger and higher than our sin, right? God's grace is amazing. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And, and we were basking in that grace and it's an amazing, awesome thing. It's this picture, I don't know, I get the picture of, of kind of swimming in an ocean of grace. It's, it's, it's just so vast that there's no way you can possibly reach the end of it. Uh, we're surrounded by God's love. We're surrounded by his forgiveness. We are justified. And Paul's been talking through these uh, first chapters of Romans a lot about this whole justification issue. And that's the, the picture of a, of, of a judge pronouncing us uh, guilty, but then the sentence has already been served by Jesus, right? So we're forgiven. Our, our, uh, our conscience can be clear of sorts because yes, we're guilty of sin, but Jesus has, has provided the way. So we're justified. We said that justification just means uh, God treats us just as if I'd never sinned. And so, so although we have sinned, Jesus has paid that penalty, served our sentence, and it's a wonderful, amazing, good news of God's grace. And then we get to chapter 6, and Paul doesn't want us to stop there. The, the God's gift of grace demands a response. It, it doesn't matter what we've done. Grace is available, of course, but it does matter how we live in light of that grace. And so Romans chapter 6 dives into that and, and basically we shift from all this theological, this is how it kind of all works into, okay, so how do we live that? What, what is that supposed to look like in my life? And, and man, it's, it's 23 whole verses, but as I sat this week, I'm going, well, do we read a, a little bit of it? We, we're just going to, we're reading the whole chapter. 
So dive in. It's only 23 verses, right? We can, we can do that. Don't worry, the sermon's not any shorter. So uh, I wouldn't want you to think that you're going to get shortchanged. Romans 6, beginning in verse 1. Uh, so the, the context, we've just been talking about grace, uh, it, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. That's where, that's where we're at. That's the end of chapter 5, and now 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God's grace is amazing. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, but someone might think, and, and people were thinking in Paul's day, and some people even think these days as well, well, okay, if, if I'm swimming in an ocean of grace, and I'm surrounded by grace, and there's no way I can get to the end of grace, God's grace is going to keep on coming no matter what I do, so it doesn't matter what I do. I mean, I can sin with, with no consequences because I can just keep asking for forgiveness and God will just keep on forgiving. And I mean, God's grace goes deeper than any sin. Maybe I should try to sin more and kind of test this out, right? Maybe I should keep on sinning just a little bit more and see if God's grace is enough. Or, or maybe, you know, I mean, I, 
Actually, if it wasn't for my sin, then God's grace wouldn't be necessary. So in order to get all the grace that we can in life, maybe we should sin all we can in life. I mean, this, these, are, these are arguments that really could be, could be kind of justified if we're, if we're walking through this. I, I'm, my sin is part of the equation, right? So, so uh, I need to keep on sinning so God can keep on gracing, I guess, right? There's two versions of the same question here. Uh, verse 1 and then verse 15 kind of ask uh, virtually the same question, a little bit different. Uh, in verse 1, uh, basically it says, should I go on sinning so that grace can abound? Should I keep on sinning so that there can be more grace? Uh, verse 15 shifts it a little bit and says, should I go on sinning because grace does abound? So it, either way, it's a skewed view of grace. If we stay in the realm of, of a judge and a courtroom then we see that, that Jesus has already served our sentence of sin, and we might be able to conclude, if that's all it is, that, that it's this judge saying, you're guilty, but your sentence has already been served, so you're free to go, great, do whatever you want. It, it would maybe matter. It doesn't, sin doesn't really matter anymore. I can do, live whatever I want. I can do whatever I want, because grace covers it all. I believe that's why Paul changes the metaphor here. And, and instead of staying in that whole realm of a, of a courtroom and judges and laws, he, rooms, he moves into the realm of biology, uh, life and death. He says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So we're no longer just in the courtroom. Now we're talking about life. And we've died to sin and we're living a brand new Life. Uh, Paul is incredulous, really, that anyone would come up with this. He says, by no means. Uh, Other translations say say it uh, in in other ways. Of course not. I should say not. Absolutely not. God forbid. That's unthinkable. There's no way Paul even uh, remotely thought this was was something that that we could come up with. And yet, yet some people obviously had. And some people, I think, still live in that, whether we're consciously thinking of it or not. It wasn't even on Paul's radar. I mean, he's saying, man, we died to sin. We got rid of sin. Why would we keep on living in it? When Paul came to Christ, his life started over again. He died to his old way of living. Jesus provided the brand new life. Of course, his sins were forgiven, just like in that courtroom, but it was more than just the the pardoning of an offense. I mean, a person who who is deathly sick doesn't need a lawyer to come to the hospital and pardon them from being sick, right? Uh, that, that person needs a, a physician <laughs> who's, uh, who, who's going to come and heal him. And, and once he's healed, he doesn't try to get sick again. He's doing his best to live life in a healthy way. He has a new life. He's been cured. Jesus came to do that for us. Not only has he paid the penalty for our sin, he's provided new life. So that changes the dynamic. It, it's not just this transaction of, of guilt or innocence and, and uh, I'm going to move on because Jesus has already paid for all the sin so I can do all the sin and I want. But I'm going to turn away from this old life and move into a new life. I'm starting over again. And so it does matter what I say, uh, whether I stay in sin or not because I don't want to live that sin-sick life anymore. Dr. William Greathouse put it this way, it is, a con- it is as contradictory for a Christian to go on sinning as it is for a dead man to go on living. Paul reframes this issue here so that we can understand that sin should be pushed out of the equation. Jesus has provided for more than just my forgiveness. 
If we truly accept his gift of grace, we start over again. We identify with Jesus' death, this, uh, this passage says, and, and we put sin to death in our lives because of what Christ has done for us. And then we identify with Jesus' resurrection. We're raised to new life in him. 2 Corinthians 5.17, again, the Apostle Paul writing a letter to a different group of people says it this way. He says, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. In Galatians, again, the Apostle Paul writing a, another letter to another church in, in Galatia, and he puts it this way. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a new creation, a, a new life. It's now Jesus living in me, and that's so much more than just this transactional, I've, I've been forgiven. But there's... There's this new life that has now sprung up. It's powered by Jesus. He puts sin behind us. Why in the world would we ever want to go back to an old way of life if we have a new life? So that kind of uh, brings us to the middle of this chapter where the metaphor kind of shifts again and it's kind of peppered throughout, but but especially here in verses 15 and 16 where, where uh, Paul asks the question again uh, about grace and should we keep on sinning because of all this grace and and he shifts again from, he's not in the courtroom anymore, and he's not talking about biology anymore. Now he shifts to the realm of slaves and masters and gives yet another dimension of what happens when we fully follow God with our life. We're not just pardoned. We're not just given a new life. We also serve a new master. This talk of, of slaves and masters isn't too familiar to us today, uh, it, but it would have been very familiar to the, the first readers of this letter in the, in the church in Rome. Some scholars estimate that, that up to two-thirds of Roman citizens were slaves or former slaves. It wasn't a forced slavery like in our, uh, like we saw in our country's history, but, but slavery in Rome was, was for the most part voluntary. Someone maybe needed to provide for themselves and they, they, uh, it was one, one way that they could provide for their families by offering themselves as a servant or a slave to someone who was willing to, uh, to purchase them. It was a little more than just being an employee. They were, they were signing on to be, uh, loyal to this person and to, to, uh, serve him or her for, the, uh, this family, uh, serve them for life. So unless they were either purchased by someone else or uh, released at some point, they were going to serve them. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to help you accomplish what you're trying to accomplish in life. I am, I am at your disposal. That's the system that, that, that Paul's using as an example of, of what it's like to serve sin, he says. We're, we're at sin's beck and call. We are slaves until Jesus comes and sets us free. And when he does, now we have a new master. So why in the world, Paul says, would we continue to want to serve sin if we've been set free from that master and we now have a new master, uh, Jesus, a new master, righteousness? A slave doesn't need to be forgiven for being enslaved. He needs to be freed. So not only do we need a judge to pardon us and a physician to heal us, we also need a liberator to free us. Romans 6 tells us that Jesus is every single one of those things. He has provided for our pardon. He has provided for new life. And he has provided for our freedom. And so, Paul says, it follows uh, that it it does get much better than just being relegated to a life of continually sinning and asking to be forgiven. 
Because of Jesus, we die to our old lives of sin. We change masters and we now serve righteousness. Should we go on sinning so God can keep on gracing? Heavens no, of course not, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? Grace is not a license to sin. It is the power of God to free us from it. We could take grace for granted and say, oh, God will forgive me, I can do whatever I want. Paul says, heavens, no, you're missing the whole point. That's not what it's all about. Grace is not a license to sin. It is the power of God to free us from sin. We used to have a dog, Abby. We loved little Abby. She was a great little beagle uh, with some quirks, as all little beagles I'm learning have. All dogs probably have, right? Uh, Abby lived with us for 12 good years, and uh, we no longer uh, have Abby. She is uh, chewing bones in the sky, right? I think. Well, all dogs go to heaven, so I guess so, yes. Yeah. I would call myself more of a dog person than a cat person. I enjoy the companionship of dogs more than cats, uh, but I'm not sure that I would put up with the hassle of a dog again. I know some of you might be ready to walk out the door right now. But I, I, you have to agree with me. They're high maintenance. Now, some of you, you know, it's okay. You, 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 you take that into consideration and it's worth it to you. Uh, that's, that's fine. That's good. But you have to admit they're high maintenance. Uh, uh, there's the walking and the feeding and the vet bills and the, and the training. Well, some of you probably don't worry about the training and you just put, they train you, right? But, uh, of course, there's always all that cleaning up. When you have a dog, not only do there need to be regular sweeps of the yard, one thing, one big thing I, I missed after uh, the dog passed on was, uh, was a, a discipline tactic of, all right, go out there and pick up some stuff in the yard. Now I had to come up with something else. They had to do it just because they had to do it, right? Not only do you have to do the sweep of the yard, but they're always getting into something. They always need a bath, right? There's always this, I mean, they're just... Just always getting into something. Whether they, uh, they, they just get in the mud or they, you know, they're always rolling in something stinky. You know, it's just, ah, it's just bad. You know, you know what I'm talking about. So then you give them a bath and you clean them all up and, oh, it smells so good. And they go running through the house and they're, ah, oh, and shaking off and all this stuff. And don't put that on video. I didn't, yeah, that's not, sorry. But where do they end up again? Back in the pile of stinky stuff, right? It's not too long before they're out there in the mud or they're, they're going back to where they were before. And I, I hate to draw that analogy, but I think it's a bit of an analogy to some of our spiritual lives. We come to God and we get all cleaned up, but before we know it, we find ourselves back in the same stuff we were before. We really don't know any better or we figure that's how it's supposed to work and it's just kind of uh, i don't know it's kind of like the instructions on the shampoo bottle right wash rinse repeat well we kind of do wash sin repeat wash sin repeat wash sin we just kind of keep on going we think that it just doesn't get any better than that romans 6 says that it does that jesus didn't come just to forgive our sins but to give us a brand new life serving a brand new master we are not just doomed to sin every day barely sliding through the gates of heaven when we die that is not the wonderful christian experience that jesus came to provide jesus invites us to die to our old lives of sin so that he can truly live in us he invites us to change masters to serve him and not serve sin anymore it's what we call in the church a sanctified life 
coming to the place of complete surrender to God, dead to sin, alive in Jesus. Sanctified life. Well, how, how in the world do we get there? I mean, Paul's talking about, uh, uh, he's been talking for, for five chapters here about faith and how we just, we access the grace of God through faith and all we have to do is believe and it just, you know, we, we can access all of this grace and love that God has for us. And that's true. I think this chapter gives us some great uh, practical steps in continuing on in that faith and how do we live that out and how do we really allow God's, uh, God's gift of Jesus to transform us into holy, righteous people living for him. The first thing, uh, first step I think we need to take is we have to change our thinking. First of all, we have to know that this is possible, that, that this is what Jesus came to do. So many people today, good, wonderful, believing people, think that it doesn't get any better than always sliding back into sin. Sanctification starts with a, with a change of thinking, knowing that it's possible. Uh, verse 3 says, uh, don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ, uh, were baptized into his death? Verse 9 uh, says, yes, we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can't not die again. Death no longer has mastery, mastery over. This is, a, this is a thinking thing. Verse 11 says, count yourself, uh, consider, reckon yourself, dead to sin but alive in Christ Jesus. Know that this is possible. Know that Jesus came to provide more than just a wash, sin, repeat existence. C.S. Lewis wrote, if conversion to Christianity makes no improvement in a man's outward actions, if he continues to be just as snobbish or spiteful or envious or ambitious as he was before, then I think we must suspect that his, quote, conversion was largely imaginary. Sanctification begins when we allow God to change our thinking. The next step is to change your will. Verse 13 says we need to offer ourselves to God, as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. It's not just enough to think about it, to know that it's possible. Yeah, okay, I get that. At some point, you have to act on it. At some point, you have to have the will that says, okay, yes, I want this for my life. I used to make fun of my brother-in-law. Um, I don't think he listens to these sermons, so I think I can keep uh, share this, but... Um, Years ago, uh, many years ago, he was considering his first big computer purchase. And he'd read uh, computer magazines and, and consumer reports, and, and uh, he, was, he was getting up on the technology, and he was uh, you know, d- newly married, newly into ministry, really wanted to get the right thing that was going to do everything that he wanted to do. And so he studied up on what was available, uh, how much it cost, uh, what was coming down the pike next month, six months, a year from now, what was going to be possible in the future, and, and uh, he knew all about it. I mean, he knew a lot more than I did. When we get together, uh, we'd, we'd talk about it and he'd tell me about some of the great things that were, that were coming. He, he knew all of this stuff, but I had something that he didn't have, a computer. <laughs> I didn't have all the bells and whistles and it was, I got it on sale. It was, it was obsolete before I bought it because I'm just that cheap. But uh, uh, he had all this knowledge. I mean, it was over a year, maybe a year and a half, maybe two years. I don't know, it was a long time, right? We... Yeah, anyway, it was kind of funny. He'd, 
He hadn't bought a computer <laughs> months and months, and, and still he hadn't bought one. He, he, you know, he, he'd always, his problem, I think, was that he was looking to what was coming, and he didn't want to buy something now because he knew that in three months there was going to be this. But uh, funny thing, after three months came by, now he could get this, and it's got all the stuff, but, oh, three more months, if I just wait a little bit longer. He had all the knowledge, but he never acted on it. Yeah, he finally did. Sometimes... That's where we find ourselves spiritually. We, we may know in our heads that it's possible uh, to put sin to death in our lives. We, we've heard about it. We think about it. We've heard sermons about it. We read it in the Bible. But we haven't come to the place of actually acting on it, of doing what verse 13 says, offering yourself to God. Finally come to the place of saying, God, I am yours. Oswald Chambers wrote, Have you made the following decision about sin, that it must be completely killed in you? It takes a long time to come to the point of making this complete and effective decision about sin. It is, however, the greatest moment in your life once you decide that sin must die in you. Not simply be restrained, suppressed, or counteracted, but crucified. Just as Jesus Christ died for the sin of the world, no one can bring anyone else to this decision. We may be mentally and spiritually convinced, but what we need to do is actually make the decision. Make the moral decision that sin in you must be put to death. You cannot count yourselves dead to sin unless you have radically dealt with the issue of your will before God. I love the, the terminology here, offer yourself to God. That's all we can do. We, we can't earn it. We've talked about that uh, in, in uh, several messages here in this series already. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We, uh, we, we're... Uh, as we sang today, a people undeserving. And so we come to God and all we can do is just say, God, here I am. Uh, it says as an instrument of righteousness. Now, 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 to me, first of all, I think about, uh, uh, you know, an orchestra and how uh, maybe that instrument, although it doesn't have a will, that instrument can't do anything on its own. The only music that's going to come out is by the will of the, of the, uh, of, of the, the person playing it, the musician playing it, and the direction of the, of the conductor. And that, that instrument doesn't have anything to do with it except it's just available and ready. If it's broken down, if it's, if it's uh, been mistreated, it's, it's not going to be ready to play. And so basically we're offering ourselves. Now, now actually if we look in the, in, in the Greek, this is actually that instrument, that word instruments of righteousness is actually a, a word uh, that could be translated weapon uh, of righteousness. Again, uh, a weapon in someone's hands uh, is, is, has no will of its own other than it's there ready to be used. Are we ready to be used by God as a weapon, an instrument of righteousness? It starts with knowing that it's possible, believing that this could actually happen. It, it, then it's an act of, a wi of will to say, I offer myself to God. And what's the result? What, what does that look like? Well, there's a change in our conduct. Verse 16 says that being a slave to obedience, obeying God, it leads to righteousness. Verse 19 says that when we are slaves to righteousness, it leads to holiness. In other words, when I believe that Jesus died and rose again, uh, not just to forgive my sin, but to give me a new life, and when I truly desire that, uh, uh, that life for myself 
and I offer myself to God, it will result in change in me. I will live differently. I will be different. God's righteousness will shine through me. His holiness will shape my character. The more I get out of the way, the more he shows. Again, Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Little boy went up to the pastor after church one Sunday and asked, Pastor, how big is Jesus? The pastor told him, well, Jesus was a man, and so, so I, Jesus was man-sized, I guess. And the little boy kind of had a little bit of a puzzled look on his face. He said, okay, well, if I ask Jesus to come into my heart, won't he stick out, he said. And the pastor said, more than you know. <laughs> It changes us from the inside out, right? It shows. Did you know that's part of our our, our church's mission? Uh, to, to show the love of God? We're knowing, growing, and showing the love of God. Uh, when we're truly living in a relationship with God, it will be evident to those around us. It will show God's character will be developing inside of us. We'll have joy and peace. We'll show love for people. We won't be crabby and complaining. We'll, we'll, we'll show, and, and we could go on and on, God's character being formed within us. Paul prays for this experience for us again in another letter in first thessalonians as he's as he's as he's writing to this other church in in chapter 5 verse 23 he says may god himself the god of peace sanctify you through and through it's possible so many people settle i think for lives struggling with sin we go on sinning and then we pray and we hope that god's grace won't run out And we think that it just doesn't get any better than that. But it does. It was a a little boy who constantly kept falling out of bed at night. His parents were doing several different things and propping things up in different ways, trying to get him to not fall out of bed. But he couldn't sleep, couldn't seem to sleep without rolling out of bed at some point in the night. And his his uncle was there visiting one time. And uh, his uncle, uh, middle of the night, heard the the thump and then a cry. And in the morning, he's kind of teasing his his nephew. And he's saying, why, why is it that you're always falling out of bed? And the little boy thought for a minute. And then he said, well, I don't know. Unless it's because I stay too close to the place where I got in. Maybe. Maybe that's what we do in our spiritual lives. We stay too close to the place where we got in. We're not progressing. We're not growing. We're not moving. We're not, we're not uh, getting more, closer and closer to God and, and saying no and putting to death the sin in our lives. Just doesn't get any better than that. Oh, Paul says, by no means. Of, of course it gets better than that, he says. We died to sin. How can we live in sin anymore? <laughs> we were privileged a few weeks ago to meet with a, a wise old Nazarene evangelist, pastor, uh, theologian, general superintendent, Dr. Dr. Deal. And he was on our district and spoke to pastors for a, uh, an hour or so. One thing he said that kind of has stuck with me. When we, when we come to Christ, when, we, when we're saved, we, uh, we, we give God our sin. Right? But then we have to keep on progressing. We keep on going. And, and at some point, we don't just give him our sin. We give him ourselves. 
We come to the place at one point in our lives, we say, God, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. I know that you have provided for my salvation. I, I want to be, be, uh, be free of all this, uh, these problems and all this stuff. Do this for me. God, forgive me. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And we give him our sin. But at some point, as we continue to grow in that relationship and we continue to, to uh, follow after him and we recognize that Jesus died not just to pardon us, but to give us a brand new life, at some point we come to him and say, God, I don't want you to just have my sin. I want you to have myself. All of me. I'm all in. I offer myself as an instrument of righteousness. Righteousness. 